Hey, y'all. Welcome to the White Coat, White Collar Podcast, where we help current and aspiring STEM and healthcare professionals demystify the career landscape. I'm your resident host and corporate scientist, Dr. Aurelia Whitmore. Each and every episode, I'm bringing you along as I talk shop with active professionals. We're discussing career journeys from white coat to white collar and everywhere in between. So turn the volume up and let's get this interview started. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to have Dr. Blumenthal in today. I refer to him as Dr. B. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have a history, which we'll get into. We do. Yes. So how are you? I'm doing great, Dr. Rell. How are you? Good. I'm doing doing really good. So Dr. Blumenthal is a urologist by trade. And right now, I like to call him the edge saver because he (laughs) saves edges now. (laughs) So I'll just quickly read through your history. Dr. B graduated from Eastern VA Medical School. After medical school, he went on to secure a urology and general surgery residency at George Washington University and then went on to practice urology at Central Maryland Urology Associates for 10 years while also being director at the Central Maryland Urology GIFU Center for nine years. Dr. Blumenthal gave all this up to pursue hair transplants at Natural Transplants Hair Restoration Clinic. So let's take a few steps back, right? Let's go all the way back um, to our icebreaker. So the icebreaker question for you is, what was your very first job before stepping foot into a college campus? You didn't tell me this was going to be part of the podcast, too. I thought that was just the icebreaker to have fun. So um, my very first job was I owned my own lawn service and dog walking service. So it was KB Lawn Service and Dog Walking. And at that time, we actually had business cards. So I printed out some business cards. And my grandma and I went in 50-50 to buy a lawnmower. And I paid her back with some of the proceeds. And I had eight or nine, maybe 10 clients at one point. And yeah, that was it was the start of my my lawn empire, which ended after a season or two. But it was fun at the time. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so no, cool. Nothing like a 12-year-old to, to get some cash, that's for sure. I'm sure. And you probably spent it all on candy and <laughs> ice cream. Did. I probably did. <laughs> That is so funny. So you've been a person to go about and do your own thing anyway. It seems like that's just a part of who you are. Yeah, I I, I didn't realize it till we talked about it. But yeah, I guess (laughs) I had it in my blood early on. So why don't you tell us why medicine? You seem like you've been an entrepreneur from the start. (laughs) So why did you choose to get your medical degree? Yeah, it's a question I get asked a lot, um, especially Mm -hmm. why urology. I I think it's sort of a two-part question. I think there's a surface answer and then one that, as of late, I think is a little deeper. But the surface answer, which you hear a lot from a lot of doctors, is I like helping people. And Mm -hmm. I grew up wanting to help people, which which is true. In that part, I do enjoy. Mm -hmm. I was also very good at math and science, and it came very easy to me, and I liked that. So it was sort of an easy avenue to follow the path of least resistance. My grandfather also was one of those old time country docs down in Southern Virginia. And although I never met him, he died before I was born, but it's sort of mm-hmm. his legacy, you know, kind of ran in the family. So that was sort of a big impact for me. Was he into urology as well? He, he was one of those, they did everything, you know, delivered oh, babies, I gotcha. and, you know, the, the only doc in, you know, a hundred mile radius. So wow. they had to do everything back then. Wow. No real subspecialties back then. What I have realized as of late, though, I think there's sort of a deeper reason, as you probably know, as I'm learning, there are events that happen in childhood that 
you know, have a large impact and can affect you as you get older and affect your behaviors and, you know, who you marry and how you interact with your kids and what job you choose. And my parents divorced when I was young. I was probably about six years old and I had a stepfather that came and went pretty quickly after that. So mm. I'm pretty sure I developed some issues with abandonment. And mm. what better profession is there than being a doctor if you have abandonment issues? So right. there's always a line of people that want you and are depending on you. Mm. And so I have a feeling that had a lot to do with it from a subconscious level. But yeah, that was right, sort of my, right. my path. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Even some of the other guests that I've had on the show, that's similar reasons yeah. to why they want to pursue medicine. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a sense of importance. It's a, yeah. a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And so why urology? <laughs> That's a good. So I don't know the, the deeper answer for that yet. Maybe ne <laughs> next year when I have when I uh, do a deeper dive on my own psyche, I'll have a better answer. But from the superficial answer, I always thought I was going to go into pediatrics. That's sort of what my wow. what I was always sort of geared to going. I love kids, and and I did my pediatric rotation, and I did not enjoy it. And I actually really enjoyed my surgery rotation, which was a surprise because. I hated blood. I would faint at the sight of blood. I didn't like broken bones. All my friends would always tease me about it. So that was a shock to me. I loved my wow. anatomy course, just sort of to how things worked. And, and that, that was fascinating to me. I did not want to go into general surgery, however, but mm. through my medical school, I did befriend a few urologists and went to see a couple of urology surgeries. And it was really exciting to me. You get to use lasers and computers and robots and you know all these high-tech equipment. You could do surgery, you could be in the clinic, sort of had a good mix for me. And so that's sort of what it attracted to me. The other thing, again, I think there's sort of a little bit deeper. It's one of the few specialties where you can make a difference immediately. There was a lot of mm. sort of immediate gratification, immediate help versus just yes. managing medicines and you know diabetes mm. and high blood pressure. This person has a kidney stone. I can go up, grab the stone from the kidney, pull it out, and voila, right. they're better. So yes, you know, that, that yeah. probably had a lot to do with it as well. So all of these amazing experiences you've had from your grandfather being the local holistic and medical doctor, I'm sure, mm -hmm. from you deciding medicine due to your own personal experiences to urology from the fun and excitement of instantly helping people, which is yep. kind of what you do now. So <laughs> why don't we talk about that? Tell us about yeah. how you were introduced into the hair restoration industry what prompted the switch? Why did you say, yes, I'm all in? It was not something I knew anything about, to be honest with you. So Dr. Hubner is a buddy of mine from medical school, Matt. And so we've known each other for a long time. And so I knew it, it has existed over the last 10 years or so since he's been doing it. But it's not like I grew up wanting to be a hair transplant surgeon. I think several years prior to me changing, I got burned out. And switching was a way for me to really reclaim my life and reclaim right. the joy in medicine and enjoy my life. I think my job had become my life. Now my job is a part of my life and right. it has allowed me to do so many other things and find joy again. So I lost the joy of helping people in the joy in medicine. I remember there were several instances where I would be with a patient. I wouldn't outwardly express this, but in my right. head, I had animosity towards the patient for taking too much time or not getting mm -hmm. to the point. Yeah. I had three other patients were, you know, waiting for me. You know, yeah. that was a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. You know, there almost every morning I would be in my car and just wishing, you know, at the parking lot and wishing I could just fast forward 10 hours or 12 hours so I could be wow. driving home. You know, the yeah. huge blinking, you know, warning, hey, this this may not be healthy. So yes. that was a big factor. I said, is this really 
what I want to be, you know, be doing for the rest of my life. Around the same time, my father passed away. And, mm-hmm. you know, like that obviously can be a, a big factor in taking stock in your life and sort of reevaluating as a lot of people are doing now during COVID and sort of mm-hmm. saying, hey, is this really what I want to be doing? And so the answer to that was no. You know, I in my home, I had young kids at the time. They're still relatively young. But I wasn't really there to see them grow up. I you know, was gone before they woke up and I only had maybe an hour or so at night to be with them. And again, from a deeper level, I think I was repeating some generational stuff that my dad yeah. had done to me and wasn't there. And I didn't want to do that to the kids and I missed them. And, you know, being on call and working nights and working weekends and, you know, my commute was getting longer and, you know, my wife and I, you know, she was busy working as well too. So there really wasn't a whole lot of time for us. So it was me really just reclaiming my life life in my joy. Yeah. That's awesome. And so I know you said your friend, Matt, introduced you into the practice. So like one day he just called and was like, Hey, I have this practice. Come join me. (laughs) And you were like, yes. Like tell us exactly how that happened. (laughs) Not, not quite. It took a little longer than that, but (laughs) I mean, we, you know, with their, a bunch of buddies from medical school up till COVID had gone, you know, we go skiing once a year together and we all keep in touch and we all, had made fun of Matt, you know, for a couple of years, you know, teasing him that he's not a real doctor. You know, if you don't work 80 to a hundred hours a week and, mm. you know, slave away, you're not a real doctor. And he is so passionate about what he does doing yes. hair transplants. Yet he also has a life outside and he goes on awesome trips and enjoys yes. himself. And, you know, so we sort of get, always gave him a hard time about that probably because we were jealous and, and yes. wanted that as well too. But <laughs> You know, I had shared with some of them just my frustration. And he said, hey, come check this out and see if you like it. They were opening up an office in the D.C. area in in Bethesda, Maryland, where I live. So he said, you know, if you like it, this would work for everybody. And so I went and checked it out. And admittedly, at the beginning, it was very self-serving. It was much more of a change for me. And like I said, a quality of life change. As I did it more and more, I saw the impact and it was awesome. I mean, it is truly amazing how you can help people and really change people's lives for the better. And Matt had told me initially, he was an ER physician for about 10 years prior to him burning out and then going into hair transplant. And he said, it's interesting that he feels more sort of more joy in helping people now than he was when he was literally saving lives in the ER. And I feel the same way. You know, I wasn't necessarily saving lives on a regular basis, but I find it much more impactful in helping people more now than I did before. Yeah. So it took me a while to sort of make that change and we can talk about that, but it was not an overnight decision. That's for sure. Okay. And that's so awesome that you mentioned lifestyle, because I think a lot of times we may pick careers or we feel like because we work harder that, you know, our lives were important because we work harder or because we're a doctor or a scientist or work in a hospital that were important. But what's really important is the things that make you happy and that make you feel whole as a person. So I'm so glad that you emphasize that working 80 hours a week or maybe saving lives in an ER, it could be totally fulfilling to someone else. But, you know, identifying for yourself that being home more with the kids or your wife or just being present is way more, (laughs) way more valuable than a title or driving into a hospital every day. So So glad that you shared that. So as you mentioned, it didn't happen overnight. So Mm -hmm. what training did you have to complete to make the transition? Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, so hair transplant surgery is not one of the specialties of the American College of Surgeons. There are 14 specialties. Hair transplant Mm -hmm. surgery is not one of them. 
you know, general surgery, urology, plastic surgery, OBGYN, ENTs, there are 14 of them. Hair transplant surgery is not one of them. So because of that, I consider it more of kind of a cosmetic surgery. It may fall under the plastic surgery umbrella, but you don't have to go through a residency per se to become a hair transplant surgeon. Mm -hmm. That's the good and maybe the bad side of it. So (laughs) you have to be a doctor. So you have to have an MD. But theoretically, if you graduate medical school, the next day you can open up a shop and say you're a hair transplant surgeon. So that's the scary part. You know, that's the scary portion of it. So (laughs) from from a patient standpoint, you have to do your due diligence. You really got to do your homework and Mm -hmm. find out what training that person has had and how much experience and that sort of thing. Which is what I did. And we'll get into that and why I drove from New York to D.C. to see you. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the faith. For, from my standpoint, it was I'm glad I did not have to repeat a residency. My, you yes. know, my medical school for me was four years and then my residency in urology was six years in surgery and then practice for another 10. So thankfully, I did not have to repeat another six years of surgery. But basically, what I did was a fellowship, a year fellowship with Dr. Hubner. And so Mm. while I was practicing urology, several days a month, I would fly down to the Florida office and do a fellowship with Dr. Hubner. And initially, it was observation and helping, you know, sort of assisting Mm -hmm. him in the surgery being the second surgeon. Slowly, he would let me do pieces of the procedure, Mm -hmm. you know, with his supervision and then larger chunks. And then Mm -hmm. eventually when he felt comfortable and I felt comfortable, I did a couple procedures on my own with him there overseeing me. And then once he felt more comfortable, we started doing procedures up in the Maryland office. And then once he and I felt comfortable, he let me fly and uh, sort of, you know. You've been soaring ever since. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So what do you do about your certification? Because in urology, it's every 10 years you have to recertify, right? Yeah, yeah. So So, like like I said, because it is not a specialty, there is no technical recertification, nothing like that. Now, you do to be a doctor, you have to, you know, to have an MD, you do need to have continuous medical education and certain amount of hours per year and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. So that you have to keep up on in order to maintain the MD license. In order to be a good doctor or, you know, trying to be one of the leaders in the field, like any field, you Mm -hmm. still should do your homework and try to keep up to the latest and greatest. And whether it's online courses or in-person courses, you know, we try to do everything we can to stay on top of the most recent data and innovations. That's awesome. Yeah. I had a, a few more questions for you, but you seem yeah. to answer them all just oh, about the fellowship <laughs> program. You you did the fellowship program and for about a year, as you mentioned, flying back and forth. If you could describe like lifestyle differences, you pretty much described that. You want to touch yeah. on that a little more? Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. I think, like I said, that was the leading factor for me really to you know, like I said, find joy, recapture my life. There's no comparison. You know, there's no comparison to what I was doing before to what I'm doing now. So you can make it whatever you want. And I think that's the beauty for me. I have a lot of autonomy and control and God bless Dr. Hubner. He allows me to do whatever I want. As a people pleaser, I'm not one to ask for things. And that was hard. My initial transition, that was actually my hardest factor was yeah. what is everybody else going to say? What is everybody else going to mm. think of me? Are they going to think I'm a quitter or a loser, mm. not cut it? Did you get negative feedback from maybe some other urologists? Not one person, not That's one awesome. person. But yeah. it took me about six to nine months to sort of come to the conclusion, this is what I want to do and I'm yeah. going to do it. And it's embarrassing to admit, but my biggest factor of, of sort of should I or should I not was what is everybody else going to think? Not what um, I think, but what is everybody else what is my chairman from my residency? And this was 10 years, you know, I hadn't been in residency for 10 years, but 
I was concerned what he was going to think of me, wow. what my fellow coworker urologists were mm-hmm. going to think of me, what my mm-hmm. fellow residents would, you know, that I went through residency with, yeah. all my attendings, what my wife was going to think or my kids. I did not come across one person that said I was doing the wrong thing. Everybody wow. was so supportive. In fact, quite a few times, probably more often than not, the urologist, whoever I was talking with actually mm-hmm. said, I wish I could do the same thing, okay. but I'm too far into my career or, you yeah. know, from a financial standpoint, I can't do that. But there are several people that said, you know, I'm jealous. I wish I could do it. God bless yeah. you. You're getting out. Yeah. Uh, not one person, you know, said I was doing that's the awesome. Thing, so. yeah. I think it shows too, that sometimes our biggest enemy is here right in the yes. noggin. You got yeah. it. You got yeah. it. Absolutely. So now I work four days a week. I, I do one patient a day. I do one case a day, four days yes. a week, no call, no weekends. My day now is from nine to probably four. I was before I was working eight to probably seven and, you know, five days a week I was on call, working nights, working weekends. And when I was home, like you said, I wasn't even home. I wasn't present. Yeah. And that's really the thing that bothered me the most is I took work home with me, not necessarily mm-hmm. physically, but emotionally, mentally. I wasn't with my kids. I wasn't with my wife. I would be thinking about the day, annoyed, burned out, stressed, or answering texts, answering patients on call. Now, when I'm home, I'm home, and I get Mm -hmm. to really be with my kids, and I get to be be with myself. And I've Mm -hmm. found, like I said, my job now is not my life. It is a part of my life, and I'm deep into meditation and yoga and playing guitar and running and uh, exercise and playing golf and tennis with my wife and it has changed my life dramatically. I mean, it it literally has saved my life. Yeah. That is so awesome. Wow. So what advice would you give? Let's say some, there are some doctors out there that's listening to this episode now and Mm -hmm. they may feel burnt out and they want to have a more flexible, more fulfilling career as a medical doctor that's still performing surgeries. You still cut and suture as you yeah. did me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. what advice would you give to them? Like, what would the first steps be? Should they Google transplant clinics in America and then see maybe who's hiring? I mean, I know your situation was a little different with it being mm-hmm. a friend, but if someone's listening now, like what advice would you give? Yeah, I mean, from sort of more of a, a global advice, I think to really be, you know, open to creative options. And unfortunately, like many industries, but especially medicine, it's so institutionalized. I never even knew I had options. Everything is sort of always one track, you know, mm-hmm. college, you go to medical school, medical school, then residency, residency, potential fellowship, fellowship job, and then you just keep going and then you're a partner in that. So I never knew there were other options. You could sort of take the off ramp to something else or mm-hmm. do some hybrid, but there's so many, you know, creative options that you can do. Now, if it works for you and you love it, awesome. You know, yeah. that's great. But, you know, I, I think like most things through friends or people, you know, or acquaintances, you know, to sort of what they're doing or friends of friends to sort of see what they're doing. But I think to sort of have an open mind to be creative about what you want and what mm-hmm. you're passionate about or what you you know want to do or what you want to change with your life. Thank you yeah. for that. That's awesome. Yeah. So now we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit and we're going to talk about my transplant journey. Uh-huh. So the reason why I know Dr. B is because I underwent a hair transplant. Yeah. And so I'll show some of the pictures before yeah. and after pictures. But let's discuss the transplant process. So I know a lot of people, especially women in the African-American community that have suffered with traction alopecia from tight 
braids and tight hairstyles eventually end up having permanent hair loss from the continuous traction. And Mm -hmm. so in a case like that, you know, there's so many products out there. There are the oils. There's just so much you can do. Never worked for me. And so I got to the point where I was like, I want a hair transplant. And so at the time I was living in New York City, which is like the capital for cosmetics and procedures and everything. And it's so cheap there. But I found a few different centers and I went to visit them. And my gut was just telling me, uh don't do it. I had a lot of questions because I did a lot of research at the time. I wanted to know how big my scar would be, what type of transplants. There are two different types. The Mm -hmm. Can you help me out here? What are two types? So There's (laughs) there's two major ways to get hair from the back. One is called the FUE, the follicular unit extraction. That's the hole punch technique. Mm -hmm. And then the, the other one is called the FUT or the strip technique. That's the way we do it, where we actually make an incision and remove the hair kind of Mm -hmm. as a strip. Yes, which gives you a little facelift, too. But side benefit. Yeah, yeah, side benefit. So, yeah. And so I was in New York and I was I wanted to speak to the doctors. I just wanted to to get face to face with the person who would be slicing my head open and performing (laughs) my hair transplant. I would want to know the same thing. Yes. And. Did not happen. Did not happen. And so Hmm. I continued to do more research and I found your employer. So I found Natural Transplants Hair Restoration Clinic and Mm -hmm. I watched numerous videos and it seemed like you guys specialize in the African-American community. And so... Yes. And so, yeah, we we found a niche. Apparently, Dr. Huebner was on Dr. Oz several years back. And I guess that is a show that a lot of African-American women watch. And in his presentation, he actually showed African-American women the before and afters. And so since then, we probably do 60 percent of our patients probably African-American. Yeah. 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 Which is is unusual. Yeah. Yeah, unusual for any other hair restoration clinic. And I noticed that. So that's one reason why I chose the clinic because I went into New York. I visited at least three clinics. I couldn't speak to the surgeon. They wouldn't even allow me to make an appointment with him. I had to make a deposit first, a non-refundable deposit. And I couldn't see any pictures. They had no pictures before and after pictures of any African-American women, which is what Mm -hmm. I wanted. And so I found you guys. I found Natural Transplants Hair Restoration Clinic. And the experience was literally priceless like if any other procedure I could get in life could be like my experience there I would probably get surgery all the time (laughs) (laughs) but I know it's not just how you mentioned the you know how it's better for you it's better for the patient too when I came into the clinic I was the only patient in the clinic you see Mm -hmm. one patient a day right Uh, Yeah, I do one surgery a day. One surgery a day. Right. Like that is that should be implemented in like that should be standard procedure because it's less stress on the patient. I know you're coming in with a clear mind, a clear conscience. You're ready to get to work and you're coming in not from the burden of another surgery that you just finished Mm -hmm. or another 15 calls or 15 charts or, you know, whatever other tasks that you would normally do. Or trying to speed through yours to get to my next, you know, surgery later in the afternoon. Yeah, exactly. 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 So the experience that I had was just amazing. So when I found you all and I realized that I could speak to you, I didn't even ask. So when I went through Mm -hmm. the check through process and I spoke to Jerry and Jerry put me in touch with you, which Jerry is one of the intake 
I guess that was his yep. title, right? He's one of the intake right. personnel. Uh-huh. And so I spoke to Jerry. We discussed what I wanted. And he was like, okay, great. Awesome. You know, when do you want your surgery? We can get you scheduled. We can make sure you have a FaceTime with the surgeon. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. I get to FaceTime him? And this was before COVID. So you guys right. have been up to speed with the digital world before, right. before right. COVID. Right. So I didn't have to come in. You're like, look, he'll FaceTime you at this time and he'll see, you know, your condition and you guys can go from there. And after I spoke to you, if I had any doubts or any fears, they subsided. You answered all of my questions. You were patient. You were thorough. And within a few months after that call, I came in, I got my surgery and I've been happy. So, yes. So the entire I I, I like to I like to hear that's the way it should be. Good. Yes. So I do want to show some pictures and videos. So why don't we quickly walk through the process? I know when I came in on the first day, you use this big old Sharpie and you draw my head (laughs) to get my hairline together. So for me personally, I had traction alopecia on the sides, but I was like, hey, while I'm doing the surgery, you know, let me bring my forehead down. Let me not be a big forehead girl anymore and just bring my hairline down a little bit. So why don't you walk us through step by step? Yeah. So the first thing I try to do is calm the patient down. Yeah, Which he is amazing at. So amazing. Usually I do a couple deep breaths and and try to relax the patient as best I can. I've had the procedure done myself. So I had a, a transplant about a year and a half ago. So I know how it feels to be on that side. Mm -hmm. And I do not like needles. I have a phobia for needles (laughs) and and I do not like procedures done on me. So I know how it is to be freaked out and scared. So Mm -hmm. I I try to calm the patient down as best I can immediately. And then usually the first 30 to 45 minutes of the procedure is just us talking. Again, reviewing the goals, the expectations, what the patient wants to get out of it, because that's really the most important thing. You know, you're the one paying for it. You're the one looking in the mirror every day. So I want to make sure I give you what you want. It's not about me. It's not what I want to give you what I think. Like It's what you want. Now, if you want something crazy and odd, you know, I'll have you sign a piece of paper that says, hey, this is what I want. But that's only happened once. But most people are reasonable and they just want it to look natural. And that's really the key. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we take some pictures and then we draw it out and then it's up to you. We can just reestablish whatever hairline you had before, mm-hmm. or if you've always hated your big forehead and you want to bring it down even lower, <laughs> we can do that. Some patients who've had a widow's peak and hated it, we can, you know, make it so it, it sort of envelops the widow's peak. So you lose the widow's peak, or if you've always liked it, we can keep it. We can do whatever you want. Yeah. But again, making it look natural is really the key. Right, right. And so, yep, after you drew the hairline on and shaved my head, which was I was yeah. I was so nervous about. But it now, grows back. We don't, have, we don't have to shave the whole head. We just have yes. to shave where we're going. Yeah. Yes, right. So exactly. a lot of patients are concerned. And they are, do you have to shave my whole head? No, we don't no. have to shave the whole head. We only have to shave where we put the grafts. Exactly. And that can be hard. That can be a tough moment for especially women that yeah. you fight for every strand of hair and then we mm-hmm. shave that you, you come in for more hair and you leave with less it, yeah that can be psychologically difficult but we do but take it with us you allow us you put it in a nice black bag and we take it home <laughs> yes you can absolutely i offer it and that hair grows back but it, it's yeah. it's obviously not the hair that you want it's more the baby fine hair but you know like i said that can be a, a tough moment for patients when we're shaving a little bit yeah Yes. And so after that, we go into the room and get numbed up and you start the procedure by cutting the back of the head 
Mm-hmm. And doing the what is it that you said the CT the type the, of the FUT the FUT the strip procedure yes yeah. the strip yeah. procedure so yeah usually we give a Valium before we go to the procedure room I know it helped me tremendously in my procedure day mm-hmm. we still want you awake and alert but relaxed yes. and so I was nervous enough I wanted to be more than relaxed I was very relaxed and so I took a little more than normal but you know usually we do the Valium go to the other room. And then the numbing shots are the worst part. So we do numbing injections all the way around the head. And that mm-hmm. part is not fun. And, but we get you through it. Yes. And usually women are tougher than men. As, as really? Most women know. <laughs> That's Yeah, funny. absolutely. Absolutely. That reminds me, I yeah. don't know if you've ever saw running through the internet. There's like this machine that can make guys feel like they're on their cycle. It gives, it, oh, sim- it simulates cramps. And oh it gosh. is the funniest thing. Like the guys are fainting. They're crawling. <laughs> It is so crazy. I'll have to send you the video when I find it. Please but, do. But, yeah, my wife will appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I've never had anyone run out of the office on us, but, nope. you know, and then it takes eight or nine minutes. And once that's done, the rest of the day is easy. Most yes. people are just, you know, watching Netflix all day. And then we make the incision. And so we, we make a, about a, either a one or a one and a half centimeter wide incision from about the back of the ear to the other back of the ear. And we make that incision. And then we sort of cut that strip out. And we cut right underneath the follicles. So like I said, there's two different techniques. One is the FUE. That's the hole punch technique. The other is the FUT. That's the strip. That's the way we do it. Mm -hmm. They're both good procedures. They're pluses and minuses to both. The advantage of the strip is that when we make the incision, we're actually with our own eyes looking at the follicles underneath and cutting right underneath the layer of follicles. So it's a little safer to obtain the the grafts and the follicles, I should say. Mm -hmm. We don't really care about the hair. When we do the transplant, the hair itself is dead tissue. We don't care about the hair. Mm-hmm. What we want to get is the follicle, and that's underneath the skin. That's the seed that grows the new plant, so to speak. Yes. So that's really the most important aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I cut that strip out, and then I suture the incision closed. So it's a nice, thin, tiny little scar. And I'll show um, my scar. It's so You can hardly see it. Anytime yeah, I good. go to the hairdresser, they don't believe, they don't, they, no one notices it. Yeah, good. Yeah. Good. yeah. yeah that's, so that shows. Like I said, that's what. That's You're a good surgeon. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, and, and again, that's that's the advantage of doing one case a day, and that's yes. the advantage of the surgeon doing it. There are some facilities where the surgeon may literally not do the case at all. They may be there just sort of signing the paperwork, and the technicians may actually do the surgery. Mm-hmm. Now, they may be great technicians, and they may be really good at the procedure. We, we at Natural Transplants, we'd like to be involved, and we yes. think it's imperative. And so we actually make the incision. We suture it closed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our name's on the door. We want to make it look good. It's important for us that these scars are really thin because it's yeah. important for patients. Yeah. And it's, a, it's one of the main questions. And so the, the advantage of doing one case a day for me is we, I get to take my time. I want to make sure it's really, you know, the best I can do with it. And so then after that's stitched closed, the technicians will take the strip and they cut the strip up into tiny little pieces, little grafts. The way we do it, you know, again, every place does a little differently, but the way we do it is some of the grafts that we cut up are only going to have one hair in each one, Mm -hmm. but most of them are going to have multiple hairs in each one. So Mm -hmm. some are going to have two, three hairs, some maybe, you know, four or five hairs. Mm -hmm. And then while they're doing that, I make the little holes. Yep. So it's like, <laughs> it's like planting a garden. You got to you know, make a hole and then you put the seed in it. That's mm-hmm. basically what we do. So I have a little tiny knife device that I make, you know, thousands of little holes in. And that's where a lot of the artistic, you know, portion comes in. So how I make the hole that determines how close the hairs are together, the yeah. angle with which they come out, the mm-hmm. depth, all that stuff is determined by me and how the holes are made. Yes, which is awesome. And I love my hair transplant. 
Yeah, good. Yeah, we, we usually have fun and then usually yeah. stop for lunch and, you know, yes. do some bathroom breaks. Yep. And then after lunch, the techs take the hairs that they cut up, the little graphs, and place them in the holes that I made. Yeah, yeah. And then you're out of there. So it's like a three. And then you're out of there. Yeah. Three and a half. Hours at yeah, so, max. And, yeah, take yeah, for, yeah anywhere. The proceed, you're there anywhere from four to six hours, but procedure time, it, it's shorter than that. Mm-hmm. But it just depends on how the day goes. Again, like I said, doing one case a day, I don't need to rush through. So we stop right. for lunch and bathroom breaks and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. And then we go over all the instructions afterwards and what to do, what not to do, how to take care of it, You know, no exercise, don't cover it for a couple of days, yes. all that sort of stuff. Yes, which is simple. Yeah. They give you a brochure, pamphlet right. with post-procedure instructions, someone yeah. will call and check on you, including Dr. B himself. It's just great. They do, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was yeah. A- Usually I call the next day and check on you, make sure yeah. you're not doing anything you shouldn't be doing. Yep, no planks or anything crazy. Right, yeah, no <laughs> Head planks. needs to stay upright. <laughs> they leave you with a cute little neck pillow, which is so soft. Where do you guys get those neck pillows from? <laughs> they're like these so, foam. Sometimes they're on back order, but yeah. They're like tempur than others. They're Tempur-Pedic neck pillows. They're awesome. <laughs> So, Dr. B, I know you're, well, you're not as busy as you were before, but I know you're busy. I'm sure the family's waiting for you, and I so yeah. appreciate your time here. Thank you for oh, this. It's been fun. Yay. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for walking me through my first podcast. This was fun. Yay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, again, we appreciate you being on the show. If anyone submits questions or queries to me, and I'll be sure to just maybe reach back out Please and do. let you know what people yeah. have said. Please do. All right. Awesome. Thank you. That concludes today's episode of the White Coat, White Collar podcast. If you like these discussions and want to continue hearing more, please subscribe and leave a comment on the platform that you've tuned into today. For more resources on unique career options for STEM and healthcare professionals, please follow White Coat, White Collar on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you love what I'm doing and would like to be a sponsor to help me continue demystifying the career landscape, please visit whitecoatwhitecollar.com forward slash sponsor. Thank you for tuning in and all the best on your career journey. Remember, take the journey one step at a time and don't be too hard on yourself. You got this. Until next time.